welcome to CQ for Global Leaders. Join cross-cultural leadership expert, Dr. Tom Vergus, as he offers perspectives and strategies on the issues affecting global leaders in the ever-changing world of global business. Hi, I'm Tom Vergus. Welcome to this podcast. And again, I'm joined by Dr. Jürgen Strauss. Hi, Tom. Good to be back with you. Indeed. So what are we talking about today? CQ culture, right? CQ knowledge today. Oh, knowledge. That's knowledge. right. The last that episode we done. talked about CQ drive. Yeah. It's all part of culture. <laughs> it's all indeed. <laughs> That's CQ knowledge. Yeah. So what's CQ knowledge then? CQ knowledge. Well, CQ knowledge really refers to how well you understand how culture influences other people. You know, how they think, how they behave, what their values are, and what are the similarities and differences Hmm. between cultures. So that, you know, fundamentally is what uh, CQ culture is. So you could say it's what what you know about the other cultures that you're interested in. Correct. Hmm. And your own. And your own. Yes. Yeah. And in fact, if you think about it, traditionally, when we use it, when you look at the field, when the field was first formed in the 1930s, 1940s, the focus was always very much on CQ knowledge. Of course, it wasn't called that at that Mm. time. It was called cross-cultural knowledge or cultural information, etc. And it was always about briefing. Mm. And for many years in my uh, early years of my practice, that's exactly what we did. We, you know, we used to be country specific. So you're going to China, so here's some things you need to know about the Chinese. Or you're going to spend some time in France, here's some things you need to know about mm-hmm. being in France. However, going back now about 14 or 15 years ago, uh, two uh, academics, Chris Early and Soon An, when they came up with that whole construct of cultural intelligence, Part of that driver was because they understood or they came to realize that in today's world, it's not just specific cultures, right? We're too diverse. Yeah. It's like, so in, in, in every culture, there may be a certain norm, but too many other influences. So it's really about how do we be more effective, which is why the term cultural intelligence was coined. Mm. Yeah. So the knowledge is really some know-how and some facts. So That's it might right. be something like, do you hand over your business card with one hand or two hands in Asia? Or should you, how deep should you bow when you're in Japan or Korea? That's right. And, and these kind of things. These so sort of the things. Thing, right? Yeah. How do you, what's the style of negotiation, for instance? Mm. How, you know, what is the normal etiquette? So CQ knowledge has a number of different components. Mm-hmm. And in specifically, we talk about firstly business. So how well do you know about business in that particular culture compared uh, to your own, like the legal systems, the economic systems, Mm. et cetera, values and norms, you know, how do they go about making decisions, what's important there, social interactions, religious beliefs, et cetera. We talk about language because, of course, if you think about it, uh, the language in a particular culture influences also how people think. Mm. So it's what we call social linguistic styles. And then finally, leadership. When you're dealing with other cultures, what does a good leader look like in that particular culture? Mm. And if you're a global leader, then how do you ensure you come across with a level of authenticity mm. uh, to make sure your messages are heard? 
That's right. And how do you get people on board to help you achieve your goals? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The uh, one of the things you mentioned there was um, language, and one of the things I always find really interesting in in some of the interactions I've been in in the past is where people use humour mm. in a different language. Mm-hmm. So how does how does humour play out in that? Because the language there is is one of the issues, I guess. Yes. As a rule of thumb, as a rule of thumb, heuristically. It is advisable to not use humor because humor actually is culturally bound. Mm. And so let me give you a quick example. Let me just tell you a quick story uh, about this. And this is a true true story. And that was this um, uh, executive uh, from the, uh, let's let's use the United States as an example. (laughs) (laughs) I think I might know where where this might be heading. Apologies to all our listeners yeah. in the United States. Uh, you know, it's not against you. So this is an example. So this person from the United States was traveling in Japan. Mm. It was a business executive. And you know, there is a certain style of presenting in the U.S. You tend to open with some humor. Mm. have a joke at the start, etc. So you know, he was presenting. He told his opening joke. People laughed. During the presentation, he had a couple of other jokes. People laughed at all the different uh, places. And by the way, he was having his whole speech. Uh, translator, yeah. next to an interpreter. So, great. Boom. The next day, he was in another city, went through the same presentation, he had a different interpreter this time, and no one laughed at his jokes. <laughs> so he thought to himself, this interpreter mustn't be as funny it's the last as the last one. That's right. However, deep down, that evening, he was thinking more to himself and thought, Maybe, maybe there is something here. That was a kernel there of being uncertain. So he checked on that. The third day, he went in there, did presentation back with the interpreter from day one. Everybody laughed at the jokes. Mm. He thought, okay, I'm back. <laughs> it's really good. However, at the end of the presentation, he turned around and asked her. He said, look, I'm really curious. Now, when you were interpreting for me, translating my presentation, everyone laughed at the jokes. However, yesterday with this other person, no one laughed. Why is that? And she turned around and looked at him and said, well, when I'm interpreting your joke, I say to the audience, the gentleman has just made a joke. Please laugh. (laughs) (laughs) And that is a true story. Yeah, that's that's really good. Yeah, yeah. I've got another another story. It's kind of a little bit of a different twist, but uh-huh. uh, when I was in my corporate world, we had a product launch, right? And the product name, the product was given a name that had some meaning in in the research organisation where it was developed, right. and it, it followed a sequence of numbers. And but the um, the yeah, and it was an English product name. And then we started promoting in different countries. And I remember the first time I was in Korea when I introduced this product at a presentation and I wasn't making jokes and everybody would burst out laughing. Right. And this happened once and it was so funny, you know, what have I done? And then later on the uh, at another presentation about the same product, everybody would laugh again. And I thought I'd better check what's going on right. here. Now it turns out the... 
name of this product was actually the Korean word for a female body part. I see. So nobody had bothered to check that. And as a result, the sales of the product never took off. I got a lot of laughs at presentations. (laughs) But no (laughs) sales. Yes. Thank you for sharing that, Jürgen. And I think there is so many examples of that. Mm. You know, the translation of company, uh, car names in parts of the world, fast foods, uh, you know, all these. The names sometimes just don't translate. But that's a great example. Mm. Sometimes we, we make an assumption that whatever brand label that we give should work across cultures, and unfortunately it does not. Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the other aspects of, of knowledge? You mentioned uh, values and beliefs. You mentioned um, religious aspects, um, spiritual aspects. Also, there's, I mean, in my mind, there's a question of face that comes into the knowledge area. Of course, and in, in how do you, well, giving feedback, for instance, mm-hmm. right? That's, you know, in every culture, there are certain ways and styles of giving feedback. And how do we do that uh, in, in, in a way that's appropriate? So if you, if you think about one of the challenges, therefore, is if we are not doing culture specific, then how do we learn about a country? So the research now has taken us into the fact that we can break the world up into 10 cultural clusters. Mm. Okay, so this is based on research that's done by people in the Thunderbird School of Business, so great academics and researchers who've done this. And simply, it doesn't mean that people in those clusters are all the same. It's just that there are similarities so that if you have a rule of thumb, especially if you're a global leader and you're jumping in and out of planes constantly, you may not have the, but the time or the inclination to go into in-depth information about that particular culture, and actually it may not be necessary, but you want to have some general rules. And so that's why we put it into clusters. And the 10 clusters that uh, we refer to, uh, so shall I just tell you about them now? Yeah. So one is what we call the Anglo cluster. And so some of the countries that belong to the Anglo cluster are countries like Australia, Canada, uh, New Zealand, US, UK. So, you know, there is, there, there is a shared heritage yeah. there. Now, of course, each of those countries have nuances mm. and have differences. And there are also some generalities that, so if you think of the, uh, the overlapping diagrams of the circles, mm. the overlap here would be far more than the separate, you know, the separated areas as such. The Arab world, would be one cluster, so countries like you know Egypt, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, even though they're different, but there'll be mm. a very strong commonalities there. The Confucian Asian culture or the North Asian, so you have China, Japan, Singapore, Korea, etc. That would be a cluster. Uh, the Eastern European cluster, where you have the Czech Republic, you might have Hungary, Russia, Poland. Compared then to the Germanic cluster, European cluster, which is which involves countries like Austria, Belgium, Germany. Mm-hmm. Then if you look at the other extreme of the Latin American cluster, where you have countries like Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Mexico, right? So there's a Latino yeah. kind of uh, uh, commonality there. And also in Europe, 
you have a Latin kind of flavor when you look at countries like France, Italy, mm. Portugal, Spain, mm. right? So that's a different mm. uh, cluster there again. The Nordics, mm. Denmark, Sweden, uh, Finland, etc., Norway, Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, so countries like Kenya, Nigeria, Zimbabwe, etc., and of course South Asia, mm. Malaysia, India, the Philippines, Thailand, etc. So all those are clusters of of countries, and yet at the same time we want to be aware, as I mentioned, there are some generic rules, but how do we do that differently? Mm. Mm. That's fascinating. So. The commonalities within the cluster are bigger than the differences. Than the differences, yeah. yes. And yet, there's a huge difference between from one cluster to another. Cluster. Yes, indeed. So let me give you an example. I was working with a, a firm who was based here in Australia, and they had huge growth potentials in the Nordics. Uh, don't ask me why, mm. but just that their product line and the service that they offered. It came that um, they sent one person over there, and this person just blitzed it, and suddenly the operation on that part of the world actually became bigger than this part of the world. But of course, the executive team were based here, and a lot of the support functions were here. So when they brought me in to work with their teams, it was really they kept referring to the Nordics, <laughs> the Nordics, yeah. right? And part of our whole uh, intervention was actually working with the teams here and the execs to actually get them to understand, yes, there is that cluster called the Nordics. However, there are also some distinct differences between Sweden, Denmark, and Norway, right? So that was a really useful conversation for them to have that, to go, okay, so these are the differences. And at the same time, we work then with their teams in the Nordics to help them actually understand Australian culture yeah. because they obviously put you know, Australia, UK, US, New Zealand, all the same. All the same. Yeah. And we said, no, 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 so here's, here are some of the issues, here's how you kind of put that across, etc. So that was that was really about informing knowledge. And sometimes it's the most basic around, well, how do we sign off on an email mm. or the tonality of language, English. You talked about, you brought that up before, mm. you know, how we use the words in English in an email, because sometimes in an email, of course, you don't have the facial expressions, yeah, yeah. you don't have the energy, you don't have the visuals. And, you know, if you just sometimes interpret things straight off the mm. email, it can get very, very annoying. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, well, in terms of knowledge, I mean, the obvious ways to acquire more knowledge is to read, to watch documentaries, to perhaps even immer immerse yourself in that other culture that you want to learn more about. What, what are some of the resources that um, you might recommend to people if they want to get started on increasing their knowledge about another culture? Well, so in the next podcast series, in the next one, mm -hmm. we'll actually go deeper into okay. the dimensions of culture, right. okay? But... If you wanted to know for the listener, if they wanted to just generally look at what are some things you can do, I always recommend to my clients, if they're going to a foreign country on, on a business trip, on the flight, to try to watch a film hmm. from that particular country in that language. Okay. Right? Hmm. You don't have to watch the whole film, so they all have subtitles anyway, so you yeah. get a sense of it. 
But what it does is it just gives you an idea of the tonality mm. of the language, especially if you're not familiar with it. And I think sometimes it just also helps you be in touch with the local firms, right? It gives you gives you something to, to talk yeah. about. Yeah. 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 And immediately uh, you've got a connection. Yes. Yeah. I did that actually a few years ago when I was traveling to Indonesia. I talked to, I was doing a series of um, uh, presentations and I was talking to them about this film that had won um, some awards. I said to them how I watched it. And I, I, it's amazing how just that in the opening lines, it just carried so much weight. Mm. You know, it just created a connection, which I don't think would have, would have been very difficult to make otherwise. It would have taken a lot longer. Yeah. But I think it demonstrated to the audiences, the people I was working with at the time that, you know, I took an interest. Mm. Here's something, you know, something you're very proud of. Or I really enjoyed it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it just, again, it's all about how do we build the human connections before we get on to the task? Yeah. Right? How do we get, how do we build the trust? How do we kind of, and I think of it as a leader. When you're a leader, you have, uh, obviously, levels of trust in your competence, right? People trust you because you're a leader, you may have a position, etc. But then how do you get to build that inner trust? You know, how do you get past that in terms of your character, in terms of consistency? So if you can get that human connection happening quickly, then you can get on to yeah. the data. That's right. Yeah, I, I found in my experience all the time, if you are curious and ask, well, how do you do these things around here? Or what, what's the word for that in your language? Mm. Um, little questions like that would do the same thing, would immediately start to establish that connection where people realise, hey, you're actually genuinely interested yes. in, in me and my environment. Yeah. So the other question I have is, um, and we touched on it very early, I think, is knowing your own culture because the culture you grow up with is kind of intrinsic to you. Yes. And you don't often think about that, or most people don't often think about that. So how can you become more consciously aware of your own culture and then perhaps you know the impact that might have on how you interact with other cultures? I, I think, you know, again, that's a great question, Jürgen, and a lot of it is to do with it, with the degree of self-awareness that you have. So if you are conscious of where your values lie for yourself, then you can also be just much more conscious on how that applies elsewhere. So let me give you an example of that. I remember working with a client who was here in Australia who used to spend quite a bit of time in the Philippines. And it used to really annoy him because they used to always refer to him as sir or uncle or, you know, like mm. elevate him. And he was as much as possible trying to, you know, keep the same level as such. You know, and in our conversations, we kind of talked about that's one of the aspects of, of culture, which is hierarchy. Mm. You know, you are coming here from a much more egalitarian culture. You're working or interacting with a hierarchical culture. So rather than getting annoyed with it, just... Just be with it. Yeah. Like, because the, when you're trying to get them to call you by their first names, et cetera, especially when you're a few years older, seniority, et cetera, it actually makes it really uncomfortable for them. You might think it's comfortable, mm. but it makes it very uncomfortable until they've been exposed to it. So, you know, sometimes it says, just, when, once, once he understood that, 
he said, okay, I, I can see that now. Yeah. So I'll be comfortable with that. Because he started becoming comfortable with it, it just became a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, that's a great example. I do a lot of work in the Philippines, and I remember getting the advice very early on, never tell them, don't call me sir, mm. because that's almost insulting. Mm. 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 It's their way of showing respect. Mm. Yeah. I mean, same like here, right? Now here, everybody calls you mate. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It may not be about respect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, I forgot your name. Depends, but I get away with calling you mate. Depends on the tone of voice, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So what's the takeaway we'd like the audience to, or the reflection point we'd like the audience to take away from today's episode? I think the reflection point should actually be, again, a question of, so how knowledgeable am I of different cultures? Most of us think we know a lot, but do we really? Uh, you know, how, how well do I know different cultures or different cultural groups that I'm working with or that I'm interacting with? How well do I know that? And how can I increase my knowledge? How can I develop a curiosity? So that example that you gave before about asking how do you say that in this language or how do I respond? All that demonstrates curiosity. How do I develop curiosity? How do I ask more questions? How do I be more aware? How do I get interested? Mm. You know, rather than to be interesting, but how do I get actually interested mm. in uh, in the other? Yeah, yeah, and that's probably it's counterintuitive, but to be interested is probably the best way to become more interesting. Indeed, it is. Mm. All right. Well, thanks, Tom. I look forward to digging deeper into the knowledge aspect of cultural intelligence in the next episode. Indeed. See you, Jürgen. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on CQ for Global Leaders. To find out more or contact us, go to culturalsynergies.com.